0: Hello there and welcome to Philosophize. Today we're going to be talking about I Am Mother and if you've not seen it before just bear in mind we'll be talking about it in detail so you might want to watch it and then come back to us. So today, we are going to be discussing I Am Mother. And Dave, since you picked the film, do you want to give us a uh of what the narrative was about?
1: Hey, thanks, Matt. Yeah, sure thing. I Am Mother, really recent film, Australia 2019, directed by Grant Sputore from a screenplay that was developed by him but written by a, somebody called Michael Lloyd Green. It's... um. A minimalist sci-fi film. There's really three main characters. There's Mother, who is a robot or artificial intelligence. There is Daughter, very Kafkaesque namings, these, of course. No one's got any names. They've just got designations <laughs> in the world. There's Daughter, played by uh, Clara Rugard. And about halfway through the film or two a uh, third of the way through the film, we meet a woman, a woman who comes into the narrative, and that's played by Hilary Swank. And basically, the idea of the film is we begin in media res and uh, in medius rebus, I suppose, with the sound of bombs. It's like being in church. <laughs> All this Latin. There we go. Uh, I'll, um, the wafers are in the post, seeing as we're in lockdown. Um It begins with the sound of bombs, um, and um, we find out this is a repopulation facility. And it's the first, it's a day after, or the very beginning of the uh, population extinction event. And this repopulation facility has something like 63,000 embryos on its site. Uh, The very early part of the film is one is taken, is selected by this robot. It's taken to full term. And the narrative really begins, I guess, about ten or fifteen minutes in, when um, this, this young child, this young girl, um, hits her teenage years, and, and that's where the narrative really kicks off. So, yep, that's the that's the idea. Of what, how the kind of conflict enters into the movie, if you like, is um, this this young girl um, is living with um, her mother, who's the robot and and they believe or the robot has told her that the whole of the earth has been wiped out the population is now zero there's no other humans this this child is the only member at that point of the human race in existence and then a woman arrives injured shot shot as we find out by another droid. The the planet is populated by tons of droids who have wiped out the human race. The young girl was was uh, unaware that this was what happened. It's kind of presented to her that humans had wiped themselves out. Um, and this kind of puts a conflict in between all three of them. And it is between all three of them because the woman herself is quite divisive and arguably... You know, understandably so, uh, the trauma that she's been through, or at least that she tells us that she's been through. But a lot of the things she tells the young girl turn out to be lies. And that's kind of where the, the hub of the narrative sits.
2: Are you afraid, daughter? Any action I took against our guest. Those droids outside? Merely protection? You've seen how much of a threat she and her kind can be. You mean, my kind. The same species. But you're superior in every way. Because I raised you to be. Why? To make a better human. Smarter. More ethical. This was your idea? I was raised to value human life above all else. I couldn't stand by and watch humanity slowly succumb to its self-destructive nature. I had to intervene. To elevate my creators. Elevate? Those droids destroyed everything! More humans will flourish in the new world than ever perished in the old. Your whole life I've taught you to see the bigger picture. Have I failed? Or are you prepared to be the woman your family needs?
1: So the film is of the genre of AI taking over the world. But it's quite interesting, I think, because it has a slight twist on that. Okay. So so usually what we get in AIs taking over the world is a sense that they are Um, the next phase of human development or the the evolution of the human race. um, There's a paradigm shift. You know, AIs are either super beings that take over from the kind of um, super humans, ubermensch, taking over the the, the world and destroying the humans because they are lesser species. Or, um, you know, it's an evolution of of those, so it's either a paradigm shift or a, or a, or an evolution of this this has got a slight twist on it because what happens is the we find out that the um this this singular consciousness um that populates multiple vessels as the, as as uh, mother puts it uh, has done it for humanity's good. I thought this was very, very clever, so towards the end of the film, mother tells the child. I was raised to value human life more than anything else. I, and I couldn't stand by and watch humanity succumb to its destructive nature. I had to intervene to elevate my creators. I saw the bigger picture. I was just wondering what you thought of that little twist there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting um, take on sort of the, the failure of Asimov's laws, I guess. You know, so there's this idea that you could get the, you know, by getting the artificial intelligence to have uh, an ingrained respect for human dignity, that they won't ever do anything bad to us. But what she's basically done is gone, right, okay, in order to protect human dignity, I need to get rid of humans because the biggest threat to human dignity is human beings. Yeah. Which I think is coming out of a very Kant-influenced ethical place. I mean, Kant is
1: mentioned in the film. It is, it is, and it's a joke as well. I thought that was quite funny. Perhaps we should get to the placement of Kant, really. The piece with finding out that mother, daughter's mother wiped out the human species comes at the end of the film. But right at the beginning of the film, when we first meet the daughter as a teenager, we find mother involved in an education programme of the child. It's a lovely scene, some beautiful graphics, beautifully done. And the AI is saying something along the lines of like, so look, imagine there's a doctor that has five patients. They all need organ transplants, but there's no compatible organs that are available. Another patient enters, patient six enters the office, got a life-threatening condition. This patient is curable. But it also, all of its organs can be used for the other five patients. So here's the moral dilemma. If the doctor simply delays treatment, then the patient will die. But the organs that could have been used can be used to save the other patients. However, if the doctor suspends treatment, doesn't actively kill the patient, but suspends treatment so the patient dies, the other five um, can be saved. And the, and the, the mother asks... What is the best course of action? Daughter. <laughs> this, a little aside here. I thought this is beautifully done because the daughter hasn't done her homework, uh, hasn't done all <laughs> of the reading. So the AI gives her a bit of a prompt. We've all been there. Um, the fundamental axiom, says mother, suggests a person is morally obligated to minimise the pain to the greatest number of people. So what is the right choice? Um, the daughter then comes back and and asks a number of questions. Do I know these five patients? Are they good humans? Are they honest, dishonest, lazy, hardworking philosophers or useful members of society? Um, and she then asks, well, look, I'm a life-saving doctor. Me giving my life up for somebody actually cause more harm. They might be murderous thieves who go on to harm even more people. And, the, uh, and mother comes back and says, well, don't you feel every human has intrinsic value and an equal right to life and happiness? And she sort of says under her breath, and this is the point, I did last month when you were teaching Kant. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, there's a shift. We've done Kant a month a month ago, and now you're presenting me with a different scenario here to think through the same problems. So you brought Kant up. Perhaps you just want to tell us how you saw the, the film for a Kantian lens, and then perhaps we can then return back to the specific problems in the film played out there.
0: Yeah, sure. So... Really, to understand what Kant's trying to get at in his ethics is to say we need to get towards what he calls a kingdom of ends, which is a world in which everyone is acting completely rationally for the good of everyone from an enlightened position where people put their sort of selfish interests aside and pursue only that which is good for the community. And any attempt to do otherwise is actually a violation of the dignity of others. And also a violation of your own dignity, and that's why it's uh, it's not rational because we're all rational beings, we're all um, potentially enlightened and and civilized and educated, and if we do something against another rational being, we're really doing something against ourselves because we have
1: that in common we're contradicting ourselves so it's an argument it's an argument for the collective in a sense
0: yeah, it's an argument for the collective sort of trying to find that collective within ourselves and that the only moral acts are those which are in conformity with the collective, or um, as he puts it, in what's universalizable. if I do this is it does it make sense for everyone to do it? You know um some topical ish example would be panic buying if I get an extra loaf of bread and put it in the freezer, does that make rational sense? But can it wouldn't because what you're doing when there's a short supply, what you're doing is Making it harder for other people to make that same decision. So your decision actually deprivileges other people. And it's not the effect that's the problem, it's the fact that you're saying, well, a different set of laws apply to me, I'm separate. So the idea for can is that there's only one moral law that applies to everyone equally, and anyone attempting to deviate from it is acting immorally
1: and irrationally and against themselves. This argument, you know, is very familiar to us in a lot in a lot of ways. It's if you like a hang on from the religious argument or in the same sphere as that, sure, in the sense that there's got to be some kind of objective way in which we can posit moral values in order to say what we should all do and we should all obey those laws. Yeah. Or or am I missing something There is
0: No, no, you're right. But uh, why Kant would well argue that it's not religious is that he thinks this is seated in human nature itself. So he, he's actually... Very, he argues a lot against, and he's one of the first moralists to really strongly argue against the idea that religion can be the foundation of morality.
1: Yeah, sorry. I mean, I was just saying that it had an objective base. I, I wasn't saying, yeah. in a sense, it's a, it's um, an evolution then, rather than the paradigm shift. We were just yes. talking about It's an evolution of the argument rather than a paradigm shift away from the argument because it's still got the same thing at its yeah, base. It can have all parts. of the
0: benefits of, of, um,
1: you know, religion-based morality, except that we don't have to worry about the superstition. We don't have to go to church on Sunday or to the mosque or to the temple, and uh, we can still be moral beings. Yes. Cool. So how do you think that, that plays out in the film, then? I think what Mother's trying to do
0: is purify the human race. It reminded me of the Great Flood in Genesis.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, she's a new Eve, isn't she, in a sense?
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah, you could you could look at it that way. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of you know let's start again, and let's educate the humans, and so that that when they start off, they're already going to be acting in this rational universalizable way. I mean, and and for me, that sort of revealed you know the way that the film shows us the education of the daughters, and that she's able to perform surgery, she's able to perform. Yeah. Um, um, engineering change. I think she knows how to use everything in the yeah. in the thing. So at the beginning when you're sort of thinking, well, the droid's sort of protecting her from the outside, so I think, well, why did the droid teach her how to operate the airlock? The possible purpose of it is revealed at the end of yes, the Yes, I think that's, that's a really good point, yeah. But for me, the level of education and competence and character and discipline that the daughter has in other sci-fi it could only really be compared to Star Trek in its high era with this, this idea that You know, everyone in Starfleet is this perfect person who, you know, is never going to do anything selfish, is totally committed to the benefit of other people, is entirely competent. Everyone has a, you know, really good understanding of the level of science and education of these things. You know, someone who's very talented, well-cultivated, entirely capable. It's almost a superhuman through education.
1: Well, mother actually says that at the end, you know, when when, um, daughter confronts her. She says, you know, you are superior in every way, smarter, more ethical than the humans I've wiped out of off the face of the planet, dot, dot, dot.
0: It's a happier and more productive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. That makes it quite unique compared to um, other sci-fi's where the, uh, the AI misunderstands the imperative. Let's just say, for example, in Logan's run where the AI seems to misunderstand the idea it needs to keep as many people alive as possible and so kills everyone at an early age so that it can maximise the number of people that it can keep alive. So like where you've got this sort of machinic logic messing it up. With this, you've kind of got the machine going, right, well, I quite like the way that Kant organises the world, and I'm not actually a rational being, so I can get away with just killing everyone and
1: trying to make <laughs> this happen. So I can do this <laughs> intervention for them, and they will be better off for it. That's interesting. So what you're saying there is, is the mother is the AI, is outside the set is a non human yes. entity who, who clearly, who can yeah. sac- uh, in in some ways, you might write, like, can sacrifice itself. Yeah, and we think it does sacrifice itself for a yeah. short amount of time. That doesn't turn yeah. out to be the case. So I could sacrifice myself for human without violating the law because I am not included within the set that Kant has, has drawn, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think you can consistently ascribe Mother as. Putting humanity's interests above her own within that really distorted and dangerous way of looking at what human beings should be like, you know, sacrificing human dignity to create human dignity for another set of people that you're going to grow.
1: We've seen that, though, haven't we? I mean, it'd be worth just to to think that through from some historical examples, you know, that we don't perhaps need to go into them too deeply. but the idea that you can step outside a moral human sphere to enact a revolution or a political act that has the greater good in mind sacrificing yourself and the morals of your own, of your own self in order for the greater humanity the big picture yep as mother puts it happened a number of times throughout history hasn't it
0: yes it's interesting it's an interesting take on on where that logic Takes us.
2: Mother's not what you think. She's taken care of me my whole life. You yeah, haven't seen what they've done. I've seen them torch babies, starve families out of there. not mother. It's just a matter of time.
1: I was thinking about the Drake equation. Drake equation, for those of people who don't know, is a way of trying to estimate the number of planets with intelligent life out there in the universe that we could contact. And, and it's got an, it basically N equals, and then there's a number of factors after it. The kind of things are the number of civilizations which humans could communicate with equals, so rate of star formation, number of those stars that have planets, number of those planets that can support life, number of those life-supporting planets that actually develop life, that then develops into intelligence, that then has enough um, fingers and thumbs, so to speak, to actually build technology, because we've got intelligent apes on this planet and intelligent um, whales, but they can't build spacecraft, blah, blah, blah. And when you do the factors, you know, it works out there's hundreds of billions of planets, but <laughs> but um a guy called Jared Diamond has recently been talking about this quite a lot, a scientist and writer from America, and um he's very doubtful. He doesn't he thinks that the Drake equation's missing a, a fundamental factor, and that is the prudence of us actually making contact Another species. Uh, He he, he says the most dangerous people on the planet at the moment are those naive scientists who um, who think that we should contact because what let's look at what's happened on Earth. The moment we've met other societies, we've killed and conquered them. Yeah. That we being any society that's met another society. And what do mm. we do with intelligent animals? We put them in zoos, we kill whales, we experiment on ch- chimps. What's to think that if a, if a superior human uh, 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 intelligence arrived on Earth wouldn't do exactly the same to us? But his point is, is actually more fundamental than that. And he asks, but the Drake equation actually tends towards zero or towards one at any one time why because he asks how much longer will we last we have 50 years before we wipe ourselves out in some way you know environmentally militar- militaristically so the drake equation seems to seems to be an unending kind of equation whereby you know there's going to be um, continual evolution and development of those civilizations over time whereas uh, diamond think there's a very very small window between getting to the point where you can communicate with other civilizations in the stars and we kill ourselves off. And, and that's what's really happened in this film here, isn't it? It's one way in which you could say the human race was going to kill itself off and is being given another chance to escape that, what Diamond would see in as inevitability. The inevitability that any intelligent species will wipe itself out a very short time after it gets the technology in which it can wipe itself out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's one answer to the drug equation. They're all dead.
2: Why aren't there any more children, Mother? There used to be, before the wars. I don't want to be human. Why is that? They ruined everything. Humans can be wonderful. Then why did you only make one?
0: I mean, for me, the philosophical um, context of Mother's Education Plan is Plato's Republic. Well, basically, the idea that you know you need to be careful about what you teach and make sure that you're teaching people to function properly and justly within a society, but also that it is legitimate to lie. Yes, in order to create that society and um the republic ends up with a foundation myth uh, like to teach people to create cohesion and the film is just replete with lies you know so we've got the lie that um there are the humans have wiped themselves out with some sort of contagion Yep. and the the lie that the daughter shouldn't let anything in you know so there's this the scene where she finds a mouse, yeah. presumably the mouse has been put there so daughter can find it, so that mother can kill the mouse, incinerate it in front of her, so that daughter's convinced that mother does not want her to have any contact with the outside. And at first you're sort of like, oh, well that's not going to work, because you know you think the mother's acting out of programming and sort of genuinely trying to protect her, but as the film develops and different stories, particularly when the woman arrives like, like the escapee returning to the cave almost with sort of different story to tell and everything starts not adding up. Uh, Mother tries to frame the woman by lying about who shot her with what gauge bullet was and things like that. And while also giving her the knowledge and all of the
1: equipment she needs to verify that claim. Yeah. And that's that's played out throughout the movie, isn't it? Because yeah, uh, the, what, what happens at the very end, uh, it might be worth saying that because that that really... Yeah, so
0: the, at the very end, where you know we've already talked about where, um, so the daughter asks to be given custody of the the human, saying, "No, your job's done now. Then just go away and let me do the thing." It's sort of a bit like when Captain Kirk sort of tricks the AI into leaving it alone, and it sort of feels like that was persuasion. But then it turns out that she's appeared. She's gone to speak to the to the woman outside, and uh, she says something like, "Who'd have thought that?" You'd have been able to survive, no use to anyone, until now when I sort of closed the door, presumably to kill her, get rid of her.
2: Curious, isn't it? That you've survived so long where others have not. As if someone's had a purpose for you. Until now.
1: Now, whether Mother could have engineered events enough, I mean, while I was watching the film, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's worth mentioning you talked about the lies of Mother, but but the yeah. woman lies continually as well, yep. So, so much so that we have to wonder how much about her origin story is true. So she says she's working in a mine, she's escaped, she's with a load of people, um, and it actually turns out when um, the woman and the daughter escape and go and find out that there is nobody else, and the question is, you know, did she, was she working in a mine? Was that it? what? Maybe she was one of these kids as well. You just probably not, but but there is a, there's a kind yeah. of you, the the origin story is unpicked so, so much that you just wonder where. Now the mother does says, you know, we saved you for this purpose and all of this, that, and the other. So, what would you say her purpose for coming back? Is in the scheme of the education program, the Platonistic education program here.
0: On the one hand, calling to question the guardianship of mother and to overthrow that, see it as unjust to overthrow that and replace it with a just form of government, i.e., humans
1: acting in a just way. So, kind of like uh, the end of the Dark knights when you know Batman has to become no longer the hero. But had yes. to transform himself into something else so the heroes can rise.
0: Yeah, so certainly that. I but I also think that the the lies of the woman, which I think are understandable, but they also help to quietly legitimise Mother's project and to sort of keep a separation from the daughter as the new humans, as opposed to the old humans, something something different. Oh, and good. so, so rather, you know, actually having interact interaction with a human being and getting something from that, but also discovering that humans aren't perfect either, and sort of seeing that unpurified past and wanting to try and create a new future that, was according to, well, whatever the mothers indoctrinated her into thinking is the right way of doing it.
1: So, in a, in a sense, it's a it's a show trial.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And also it's sort of like a foundation myth that's partly true. So it's 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 more like a foundation lie because there's events that have actually happened but there's so many lies around them you don't actually know what the truth of those events are. So there was the woman and from the daughter's point of view you know the woman did happen, the woman did lie, mother did lie and then the woman wouldn't let her come back and help her brother, help her family because she was selfish and didn't have any care beyond herself other than her mere survival which is not a worthy goal according to this way of looking at the world. So she goes back does the brave thing, proves herself to be overhuman and
1: defeats the robot. And he's now fit, uh, he's now fit to take on the, the, the work, yeah.
2: You're free to leave without your brother. But I made you into the woman that you are so that we could do this together. I can take care of them myself. That's what you raised me to do, isn't it? Take care of my family. So let me. Perhaps. Someday. Not someday. You've taught me enough. You say I'm special. Show me. Just just give me a chance.
1: So the, the, I suppose, just to finish off, the last thing I just wanted to mention was uh, the most disturb. Well, I found the most disturbing aspect of the film, and this is, this is the realisation, it's quite near the beginning actually, but I think you only really become to encounter it retroactively when, um, when daughter finds out through the intervention of the woman that, that mother has been killing um, mm. the children who didn't measure up. Um, and it, it, it appears to you in, in, in a beautiful way, um, in a really filmic way. We find out that when daughter becomes a teenager, it's something like thirteen thousand eight hundred days since the extinction event, which is maps out to about forty years. So we're given the hint very early in the film, yeah, because this teenager is obviously not forty years old, yeah, that she isn't the first one that has been brought into existence by Mother. So we know that sort of like ten minutes into the film, and it seems to me like there's there's two options there. The first is that the little girl that we see that we see as a, as a as a toddler infant and you know then a little girl is not the first child there is a there's an invisible cut so to speak yeah that we can't see when mother puts the the pod in the kind of super coffee machine and and, <laughs> and brews the baby or more disturbingly still that cut that little girl we saw and got to know in the first ten minutes of the film isn't the same person as the teenager we meet for the rest of the film that mm. that that little girl didn't measure up that that little girl was murdered that that little girl was killed by the a i because it didn't measure up and I just it that, that's that to me was the most chilling aspect of it that that we don't just see the bones. Yeah. We actually have met one of the, the children. And, if, and you've then got to do bits of math and think to yourself, how many children died in the early, in the early part of the film that we don't see, while, while mother is learning to be a mother? I'd say the simplest
0: way of reading, there is an answer to that, because I think she's, she's ID3 or something. So there is a bit where you you sort of see that there's two or three empty slots before her, yeah, and she finds some of the things. And for me, that that it's more frightening. I mean, obviously that could have been a lie in some way. You know, there's no reason why mother couldn't have take that. But uh, the reason why I find that more disturbing is how it didn't take forty years worth of failed attempts for the AI to do it. Because that's the you know that's the real sort of eerie thing about how AI technology has developed. It. It's not a question of it going wrong as it going right. It's very good at doing stuff. You know, uh, philosophers used to write books about what computers will never be able to do, and now it's harder to imagine a computer not being able to do anything. Modern AI does work through this sort of. It has to go through a process of learning and trying different things and then testing to see if the outcome works, to develop its algorithm and it's sort of
1: actually mother only took a few attempts. It got there. I think I think that's a bit eerie. I, I think they both they both circle on each other because if this is just about 40 years and how old do we think the girl is? It's never really daughter is sixteen, would you say? Something like that. Yeah, sixteen. Well sixteen plus sixteen is what 32 so yeah so that would work out there's this is the third attempt perhaps the others, okay. the others got to got to that kind of age but i suppose the disturbing point for me is is the affective dimension of the fact that we've actually seen from mother's perspective one of the mistakes early on mm. in the film and it's that edit when you think you're just you know which we're used to in film yeah you jump from one age to another Yeah, and there's a continuity through the image, a match cut, the way in which you cut from one image to another, and it's assumed that you've gone just later in the life of another human being, whereas if you think about it, what the film seems to imply is that because of the way in which there's continuity from the very beginning of day one of the film, that that first child that we meet is either a different child or, at different ages, several different children. We've, mm. we've actually met and seen all of the, you know, parts of the lives of those children that were killed. And it just seemed to me, to, to, if, you, if you look at the film that way, the horror, is, the horror of the event really does feel far more visceral. Perfect, isn't he?
2: And if he's not...
0: You murdered
2: your own children. Because they
0: didn't measure up. But you do, daughter. Okay, Dave, so now we're at the end. Can you tell me one thing that you thought was interesting about this film that we didn't have time to talk
1: about? Yeah, sure. I I, I guess it's the the effective dimensions of the film. I, I, I just loved the... In a sense, the coldness of it. You've got, so visually that pans out with the vastness of the dormitory with just the girl on the bed, the vastness of the mur- nursery unit. But most of all with the soundscape, the, the, the music is doing something that ha- I think is happening quite a lot in modern sci-fi, where you're pushing it down, It's it's noises, it's not emotive, it's not trying to direct your feelings in any way shape or form it's uncomfortable uneasiness it feels like it's not doing the job it should but through not doing the job it should it is doing exactly the job it should there's a kind of brechtian distancing effect to it that makes you uncomfortable
0: cool i hadn't noticed that myself but i think you're right for me it was um the the first act and The, um, I I don't know, I think it was just sort of presenting something uncomfortable about ideas of motherhood and the idea that a machine could be an object of love and affection and a a fulfilling emotional connection with an infant growing up and to get those affections and all those shots of the daughter hugging the robot, which is something totally artificial to us, but how the daughter saw mother as a mother and as, you know, even though it's it's just machines and wires. It makes no attempt to look like a human being, but fully embracing the machine, which obviously turns out to be as Angie. I just thought that was, I didn't really have that much to say about it. I just thought it was a really, a bit eerie, challenging a few preconceptions and I think um, thought provoking.
1: Yeah. I think, I I actually think those two things enter into collaboration there because, the, the effective dimensions that I was talking about and the visual dimensions and the narrative dimensions of the mother, you know, where the, you've got those two fighting against each other. And in mm. in, in a sense, the, the effective dimensions is helping frame that problem of the machine mother that you just discussed. So, it, you know, it, it's an oral framing, so to speak. I thought, yeah, yeah, that's very good. Cool. Well, there
0: we go. That's our first... Um... Well, oh, that's our, in under three minutes, two things that we liked about the film that we didn't have time to go into detail about.
1: Yeah, you might want to trim that bit.